Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hola, and welcome back to the show. Betsy Keller and Danielle Pollock are with us. And they are both women who are devoting a substantial amount of their time and careers towards bringing sunlight to some of the... uh, different procedures and ways in which women end up going through the system if they're trying to get divorced or fight for custody of their children. Betsy Keller has become the administrator of a very well-read, I think very informative email that is issued by an organization called CT Protective Moms, Connecticut Protective Moms. And Danielle Pollack is a lawyer with George Washington University. She's a scholar. Uh, She's a teacher. She's a lecturer. And she is spreading uh, information that she thinks is essential to changing the hearts and minds of people that have influence and power in our system. Betsy and Danielle, welcome back to the show today. Hi. Hi. Thank you, Lisa. Pleasure. Danielle, are you there too? Hello, Danielle? I am. Hi. Thank you, Lisa. I'm happy to be on. Just one clarification. I'm a policy manager, uh, not an attorney. But thank oh, you very I thought much for you were also a lawyer. Because you, you were a GW. I thought you were a lawyer. Okay. Yeah, I am a GW. I work very closely with a lot of lawyers, including Professor Joan Meyer, who is a legal, big legal expert on these issues. Well, let me begin with you, Danielle. What are the policy changes, and I want to hone in a little bit on Connecticut, that you mm-hmm. think are most essential to creating a fairer society? Um, I think that one of the most important things to think about is um, how children who are at risk of abuse are handled um, in the court system, especially when they have a protective parent who's trying to protect them in the courts, and then they have a dangerous abusive parent um, who's trying to harm either the children or the adult uh, protective parent who's trying to get out of the abusive situation. We see all over the country, including in Connecticut, um, where custody courts are decision-making to the detriment of the protective parent, who's usually the mom, not always, and the kids. Um, of course, we ha- you have a, a big, you know, case, um, Jennifer Magnano's case, where the mom was being abused and she fled to another state with her children, and the Connecticut court ordered her to come back so that the children could have contact with the abusive dad, and he ended up murdering the mom in front of the children. 
Um, and there are many cases where, you know, ab- abusers are using the courts to try to trap um, victims. And they're just not doing a great job at currently about identifying who is the perpetrator and who is the victim, and then really taking kind of clear uh, decisions so that those victims are safely protected. So I think that's the key policy um, reform that needs to be focused on, because by failing in that regard, you're creating intergenerational trauma that's preventable. Um, You know, it's a situation where you have a safe parent basically Call, you know, raising the red flag and saying, hey, there's danger here. Help me, help me get away. And the courts are saying, no, you have to bring the kids back to him. And abusers love that. They exploit that. Um, and in many cases, that's where um, women and children are murdered because the abuser can still see where they're living, um, track their behaviors, and see them, you know, weekly usually or, you know, several times a week in some cases. So let me ask you this, Danielle Pollack. Uh, I believe the law is 46-156B, something like that, the Connecticut General Statutes. I could be a Mm -hmm. little bit wrong, but it's right around that area. And Mm -hmm. there are many different specific factors that are listed that a judge Mm -hmm. has to consider when awarding Mm -hmm. custody or thinking about custody and visitation. Mm -hmm. Among those factors, uh, is there a factor that you think needs to be added in the way of something that a judge can point to and hang his or her hat on and say, there's evidence of this and therefore the child should not be there. In other words, is there, is there anything in law that you think needs to be changed so that when judges have to look at the statute that they come out with a different outcome? Yeah. Um, Lisa, I'm so sorry, Danielle. Can I just interject for one sure. second? Sure. So uh-huh. in 2021 in Connecticut, Connecticut Protective Moms and myself worked with former Senator Ellis Casser, who is retired, to pass Jennifer's Law, which is Public Act 21-78. And in Jennifer's Law, one of the most two most important things we put into that bill was one was to redefine domestic violence so a judge and family court professional like a child's attorney or a, even a psych evaluator could understand that coercive control domestic abuse is under domestic violence our previous statute only defined domestic violence as imminent harm and danger such as someone chasing you with an axe or a gun uh, and that day, I think even we have several cases anecdotally where mothers went in, said I was strangled last year, and they would say, that's last year, that's not imminent harm and danger. Oh and as my. we all know, strangulation is one of the number one, oh you know, common factors in future violence. So the bottom line is Jennifer's Law addressed that in uh, in the statute you just mentioned. Um, we... Basically, it was 46B, 56 was revised, I'm reading here, to elevate domestic abuse. Formerly, it was factor number 14 Mm. in the best interest of the child custody issues. It was 14. Alex brought it to number one to become the primary factor to be examined and educated first. By first determining whether there's abuse in the family, a judge is better equipped to understand family dynamic, prioritize, prioritize the child's safety, and weigh the 15 other custody factors with clarity. The problem is the, the bill, anecdotally as I know it, from we have over 350 moms in my organization. They're all in court, and I hear from them, and that is being ignored. It is not being weighed as the first factor. And what I'm really excited about is Senator Henry Martin of Connecticut has introduced a new Senate bill, 
P, uh, Senate Bill 46, and the title of it is an act concerning consistent application of the best interest of the child standard in child custody determinations. So Senator Martin's new bill he's introduced in the Senate that I'm hoping we'll have a public hearing so our moms can speak up and say, hey, it's being ignored, is supporting what is already in Jennifer's law. And that's what I find interesting is why aren't we paying attention to Jennifer's law where it's number one priority? Well, so Betsy, you raise a very good point, and that is this. You know, there are these laws and judges get training and laws. And sometimes it just takes a while. This was 2021. Sometimes it just takes a while before judges. And now we're going to have 20 new judges that are going to come in, that that they're going to basically assimilate and apply the law. And you're going to see them in cases. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of a lag because, you know, cases take a while to be heard. I I would just like to point out, Danielle just brought up the case of Jennifer Magnano, who was murdered, shot in front of her children, and he shot himself. He dragged her out of the house by her hair in front of the kids, shot her there. Now, Jennifer Magnano's three adult children who I work with put forth a law after their mother's death in 2009. Guess what it was called, Lisa? It was called Jennifer's Law. And it was allowing domestic abuse victims to not have to be in court with their abuser and use remote access. And I can tell you here and now, I have not met one domestic abuse victim who's ever, ever prior to COVID been offered remote access. It was buried and it was called Jennifer's Law. So when I went to work on Jennifer's Law 2.0, I put the apostrophe after Jennifer, as in Jennifer's apostrophe, to include Jennifer Magnano. We had a bill for her and it's never been addressed. So I'm just wondering what I had been looking into was, okay, the judges have a bench book, and it appears they say they put Jennifer's Law and these new definitions in their domestic violence bench book. And I'd love for you to explain to us what a bench book is, because it's not a statute. But what I'm curious about in the practice rules book, there is no mention of Jennifer's Law, none from 2021. Okay, so I can't tell you what a bench book is because I'm a probate judge. We don't have such a thing. I don't know. Oh. I don't know what it is. I'd have to ask a colleague and get back to you, and I'd be happy to do that. I got plenty of friends that are Superior Court judges, but in okay. our training as probate court judges, we don't have anything like that. So I don't know what it is. Um, so I don't Danielle? want to. I don't want to misinform yes. people. Do you know what it is, Danielle? I don't know what it is. What's a bench um, book? You know, I think each state handles it a little bit differently, but it's you know, it's basically a guide for for judges to follow and refer to when they're decision making, and they're updated periodically as statutes are updated. Um, so, I mean, I can't speak in any detail about Connecticut's particularly, but generally, you know, but I can tell you what the Connecticut practice book is. The Connecticut practice book, I, I, I don't want you to be, Betsy, overly upset that Jennifer's Law isn't in the Connecticut practice book <laughs> because the Connecticut practice book is essentially rules of evidence. It's, it's essentially literally the rules of evidence. And uh, okay. it's, it's so, civil procedure. So it's it's civil procedure. No, when a new bill passes, we get them in a different way, and I get them too. So every year when okay. new bills pass, we get – so. This is really going into the weeds, guys. But every other year, the entire Connecticut general statutes is published. It's called the Blue Books. And it's volumes one through whatever it is, 17 now. It used to be two volumes 50 years ago. Now it's 17 volumes. And it is what it is. And every judge and every office will get an entire new set of Blue Books. 
But in between on an off year, like a 2021 year, if that's the year or whatever it is, whatever the year is, you'll get the supplements. And so we'll get the bound supplements of the new laws as well. But there are, there, there are hundreds of pages in these bound supplements. And the key is, and I think this is why you both are doing a really good job, you know, is the key is not that the bills are passed, but that the bills are understood and that they're implemented, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's really what it's about. And for that to happen, for that to happen, it's a question of just making sure that all judges are educated and all, frankly, members of the bar are educated because a lot of judges rely on respected members of the bar to make decisions. We get briefs from them. We get briefs that include cases from them. We look Mm -hmm. at the precedent that they put in front of us. It doesn't mean we're going to do what they want, but they are part of the education process. So everybody has to be educated. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a whole long arc. The process is developing the laws, getting them passed, and yes. then getting them implemented and getting the whole system educated on them, which, you know, it takes, it's a multi-year process. I mean, we're engaged in that work from beginning to end at the National Family Violence Law Center at GW, um, we, you know, provide trainings, we help advise lawmakers, both in Congress and at the state level, on um, policy reforms that we think will be more protective of children and safe parents. I just wanted to go back to your earlier question, Lisa, about um, the Connecticut's custody factors, uh, 16 factors, and, you know, what what courts should be looking at and what, and, and if there's any issues with it. And um, you, you, you have 16 factors and they are um, equally weighted. The court is not required to assign weight to any of the factors that it considers. So, you know, in essence, it can be looking at all these factors equally um, or, you know, whatever the court considers the most important. And, of course, from judge to judge, you uh, have a lot of discretion about what they're going to determine is the most important. And your custody statute, um, unlike some other statutes that are a little bit more protective, um, you have your sixth factor is what's commonly called the friendly parent factor. And it reads it's the willingness and ability of each parent to facilitate and encourage um, continuing parent-child relationship between the child and other parent as is appropriate. 
including compliance with court orders. Now, a lot of states have an exception that when there is domestic violence or child abuse present or, you know, strong uh, safety concerns that are credible, um, that that factor should not apply. Because if you think about it, you are asking um, a domestic violence victim or a protective parent whose child has been, you know, victimized to cooperate and collaborate and get along with the perpetrator. And, um, you know, not only is that not realistic, but it's really harmful. It's essentially, you know, requiring someone who's been harmed to be friendly with someone who's harmed her or her children. Um, And so, you know, one thing that you could do statutorily is address that problem. Um, And then there is, you know, a factor to consider um, if there's been abuse and the effect of uh, on the child, um, any actions of the abuser, it's your number 14. Um, But it's just one of many of the many factors, one of the 16 factors. And some courts, some judges are not particularly sensitive or educated about the impacts of domestic violence and course of control and child abuse, and child sexual abuse. And um, they don't put considerable weight or the needed weight on that. Some other states have statutes where there's a presumption that if there is domestic violence, then that um, person who's perpetrated it um, cannot have primary custody. Um, That's something that you could do in Connecticut um, is create a presumption like that. People have mixed feelings about presumptions. Sometimes the, you know, people in the state bar um, will argue, oh, and some judges will argue, oh, we can't have presumptions on anything because judges need total discretion. And while they do need wide discretion because every family is different, every child is unique and has unique needs, and they certainly do need discretion, um, they can have some guardrails, you know, especially for new judges who are inexperienced or for judges who just really don't get it or care that much about the harms of domestic violence and child abuse and risk and lethality, you know, risk, um, they, they can have some guardrails like a presumption um, for no primary custody to someone who's found to be an abuser, you know, adjudicated abuser who's well, a so dangerous what person. Happens, what happens a lot in real life, um, and we're going to be right back to talk about this, but let me just put this thought in your head. We're chatting with Betsy Keller and Danielle Pollack. What happens in real life, 203 is that in a lot of in a lot of couples, you end up having a mini trial over who is the abusive parent? Yeah, because in a lot of cases, it, it hasn't risen to the level where there's an external showing of violence. If there's an external showing of violence, it's very easy for the judge. The cases that are harder for the judge are cases where they're seeing the couple who is in front of law for the first time and getting a divorce, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there are allegations. And then mm-hmm. there is an allegation that the children are being used as a pawn and manipulating because the wife hates the husband anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you end up having to have judges do a mini trial over very serious allegations of abuse or sexual abuse mm-hmm. within the context of a divorce trial. And that mm-hmm. becomes the problem where a lot of judges are criticized by members of the public for maybe not caring enough or whatever it is. Um, because the judge is, is, has a very full plate in a case, and a case can spiral very easily out of control from one set of issues to another very serious other set of evidentiary issues 
in family court where some of those issues really rise to criminality. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's a very yeah. and this I is do. What, this is <laughs> every what really day, happens every day. In just a couple of minutes that we have less left, what do you want? What is the resonant most important message that at this point in the legislative session that you really want people to hear? What would you like to say? Um, due to the extreme violent nature of some reach, recent murders of mothers and children over the last six months, um, our legislate, legislators have gone to bat and they've put forth a, a buffet, I should call it, of domestic abuse-related bills to protect on a criminal level. But what I don't see, I only see a few bills discussing exactly what you just mentioned, Lisa, where you're dealing with criminal behavior in a civil family court where the folks assigned to your case, if you end up in a custody dispute, if you're a victim and you truly are afraid to have your children alone with the abusive parent, um, that is a heavy burden to prove. And most times, um, this isn't anecdotal, there's research, Danielle can speak to it because Joan Meyer did the research out of GW, but when a mother alleges child abuse, uh, something like 80% of the time, the abuser is awarded custody of the children. And Danielle and I are both working on national cases right now where children have been murdered because they were forced by a judge who didn't understand domestic abuse into parenting time with an abusive parent. Not abusive, mm-hmm. violent. And Danielle will discuss Caden's Law, which encompasses, which I'm excited about, we have a federal national law under VAWA called Caden's Law, a little girl that was killed in Pennsylvania where Danielle lives. And the little girl was killed on her father's parenting time, and he killed her with his barbells after his workout. So he had full parenting time allowed, and he shouldn't have. And the issue is here, in coming back to Connecticut now, we have several bills, a few. We have SB uh, 46, the Senate bill I just said, about let's really take a look at best interests of the child and stick to it and follow it. And the second bill is HB, it's a House Bill 5230. It's training, it's coercive control training for judges and prosecutors. Julie Minogue in Milford a couple of months ago was murdered by an axe-wielding ex-drug drug invoke, uh, um, partner, drug partner, in front of her three-year-old child. And part of that issue is this bill, 5530, says let's train the judges and let's train the prosecutors to understand what this looks like preemptively before someone comes in with a hatchet. And that actually was in Jennifer's Law. I'm bringing up these two bills because they were already in Jennifer's Law. So that's Mm -hmm. why I'm excited if we can get some more attention and get some more legislators rallying around these. We do need education and training of judges. That was the first thing, by the way, the judicial branch cut out of Jennifer's Law. That was on the editing room floor, first and foremost. So that went. So I have high hopes that this new bill by Rep. McCarty in Waterford and then Danielle can can discuss how these two bills support uh, Jennifer's law and the federal law. Well, I, ladies, I think we've run out of time for that. But I, oh, would, I but I would like to no, but that's okay. But you guys have been great. So first of all, Betsy, I want you to tell people how to get on your mailing list. Okay, just go to www.connecticutprotectivemoms.org and fill out the uh, form first form that pops up. Okay, very good. And you've got a bunch of people on that now, don't you? Yeah, 5,000, 6,000. So people are watching. 
People are watching. And Danielle, I'll let you have the final word. What is it that you think is a resource? If I'm speaking to somebody right now who is a, a mom in dire straits, uh, mm-hmm. is there a number that she can call if she doesn't have money, if she doesn't have resources and she needs help? Who should she call? I think locally she can call her the legal aid services. Um, you can also call the domestic violence shelter in the county. Sometimes the county has a legal department and they can provide assistance. Um, of course, they're always overstretched and underfunded. Um, and then if she wants to join efforts, of course, um, Connecticut Protective Parents, you know, she can network with other moms there um, and strategize. And then if she wants to um, join into a national entity that's working on this and has uh, protective protective parents from all around the country, she can join um, National Safe Parents Organization, which is um, co-founded by myself and Betsy and several other leaders working on these issues around the country. We have monthly um, live advocacy sessions, and our next one is April 13th, and we're bringing child survivors um, some who have been sent to reunification camps to reunify with their abuser under court order, um, talking about their experiences and the problems um, with how family courts are decision making. Um, and of course, you can always reach out to um, our our organization, the National Family Violence Law Center at GW Law. You Thank can find you us very on much. Twitter. Thank and our you, website. Danielle. Thank, Thank you, you, Betsy, for being with Thanks, us. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Kristen. And this is Jen from My Mom So Hard. And we're here to talk about By Heart. Do you remember when you were nursing and you were like, I want to give the best thing I can to my baby? Well, we've got that for you. It's called By Heart. And it is a infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code MOMS20 for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Tell them my mom so hard sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.